now it's time for the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast with Dean Linky. The National Soccer Coaches Association of America is the go-to resource for soccer coaches of any level. From advocacy, education, and networking, the NSCAA has something for everyone. Join the world's largest soccer coaches organization today. Now, here's our veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. Hello and welcome college soccer fans and members of the NSCAA. I am Dean Linky and I've been having so much fun bringing you this NSCAA college soccer podcast each and every week. So grateful to NSCAA CEO Lynn Berlin Manuel, the Director of Marketing Sean Chevro, even Rob Kehoe for making it happen. As now more and more coaches are finding their way to the podcast and we thank you for being one of them. As you have heard, it's important that we cover all levels of college soccer, men and women, and today we do just that again. We like to drop names on this program, and we like to salute coaches that have paved the way for other coaches. And that will be a consistent theme today as we start with a look at the junior college scene. Right off the top, we are joined by Sean Worley, who has been the 21-year head coach of the Richland College NJCAA Division Three men's team in Dallas. He has won multiple national championships at Richland, and he has his team again at number one and believing they can add some more hardware. After Chad Waller from the NAIA gives us the latest on NAIA men's and women's soccer, we move to the D3 soccer world. There have been a couple changes in the D3 rankings for men's and women, and in the D3 women's scene, there are still three undefeated teams, and Stevens Institute of Technology is one of them. Their longtime coach, Jeff Parker, has the Ducks at number five and chasing their first ever national championship and he is on the program. From there, we pop in on D2 and getting some votes this week in the NSCAA D2 men's rankings is little old Tiffin University, located in northwest Ohio. And their head coach, Rudy Brownell, who played at Tiffin, got his bachelor's and master's from Tiffin, and has been coaching at Tiffin for the last 17 years, joins me. Rudy left Liberia when he was 13, landed in Columbus, Ohio, where he was raised by his single mom, who he now takes care of today, by the way, and you will like his story. And finally, in the D1 world, NSCA Director of College Programs Rob Kehoe rejoins us for the first time in over a month to get us up to date on the best stories this season for men and women. And he walks us up to a visit with the Georgetown women's soccer coach Dave Nolan, who has Georgetown at number seven. And we end with a discussion with 30-year-old head coach for the Denver men's soccer team, Jamie Franks, who during his time at Denver has never lost a regular season soccer game with the Pioneers. The former star at Wake Forest is a delightful interview. So again, we are jam-packed, but I hope you enjoy the ride. And we start with Sean Worley, head coach of the Richland College men's soccer team, after this message. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. So if you've been tuning in at all to this program, you now know that we have promised to feature coaches and programs from every level of college soccer, men and women, and I am certainly proud to say that we have done that. And in keeping with that promise, we start today at the junior college level because, well, as you know, junior colleges produce some of the finest young student-athletes in the country. 
And many of these players use the two-year experience to continue playing at a higher level. Some like Roger Espinosa and Justin Merrim from Yavapai Community College go on to successful international and major league soccer careers. So let's go to work talking NJCAA soccer. First, at the NJCAA Division I level on the women's side, John Ruzan, who has already been on the program, still has Paradise Valley undefeated at 18-0-0 and sitting at number two. Behind him at number three is Tyler Junior College, coached by Corey Rose, and your number one team in the nation is Adam Hunter's Butler Community College in Kansas. On the men's D1 side, Steve Clements, already on the program, has Tyler at number one, followed by the undefeated Monroe College Bronx, coached by Marcus DiBernardo, and at number three, it's Jordan Carver's Iowa Western Community College, and yes, you know it, Jordan has been on the program. On the NJCAA D3 side, First for women, Bill Rich's SUNY Broom Community College is number one. And on the men's side, how about Richland College, located in Dallas, Texas, and coached by Sean Worley. The Thunder Ducks are number one. And guess what? Sean Worley joins me now. Sean, thanks for being with us. My pleasure, sir. Sean, 21 years, 21 <laughs> with the Thunder Ducks. Clearly, you love what you're doing. Talk about what uh, and why you've been there so long, Coach. Well, I was originally from South Bay, California. I went the community college route, graduated from West Valley College in Saratoga, California back in 1995, so I can really relate to, you know, the two-year experience. When I came to Dallas, there was an opportunity for me to get involved here. When I got involved, it was just a natural fit. It wasn't even an issue. I also started to do some academic advising, and working with the two-year student-athlete has been a complete joy and success and to move the boys on to four-year institutions has been just as wonderful as playing on the field so i had a real good experience going to a community college and now i'm living the dream coaching at a community college well and you've won some national championships and here you are at number one again do you have a team that could win another national championship absolutely every year we like to think that we have a chance to win you know that's 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 part of our coaching philosophy and that's part of our culture here. Every game, every season, every week, every day, we play to win, and we always have a chance no matter who we play. So it's a real fun time going on right now because playoffs are coming up, and we're just excited to, to have an opportunity to represent Richland and, 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 and do it all over again and see if we can pull it off this year. So help us understand how you create that culture at the JC level, the kind of culture where you're recruiting big-time players that continue to put you in the hunt for a national championship. Talk about the recruiting process at this level, Coach. Well, right now we have uh, our, our system and our balance and our mix is just a wonderful mix. First of all, we get some of the top players in Dallas who decide to stay and live in, in the area. As you know, we have three top academies here in Dallas, FC Dallas, Solar Academy, as well as the Dallas Texans. And so any of those players that decide to stay in the Dallas area, we get some of those boys, and we give them opportunity to play, go to school, and possibly move on after they get two years here. We also have a good international mix. Probably 40% of our roster the last few years has been international student-athletes. We have great connections from France, Spain, Brazil, um, Denmark, good connections. They come here, they go to school, they have a great experience here living in Dallas, and when they, you know, complete the two years, they have a 
awesome, awesome opportunity to move on and continue their education and soccer playing at one of the four-year colleges that we work closely with. So we, we get those kids, and, 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 and they're fired up because they want to play soccer, and they want to do good in the classroom, and they're high achievers. They, they, they really, you know, see what we've done these last few years, and we have kids playing all over the place, you know, at the four-year level from NAIA, D3, D2, D1, and they see that, and, and, and it just fires them up. And when they come in, we, we give them a clear expectation what's demanded on the field, in the classroom, and even in their personal life. We'd like to help them become better people. All right, so you're in Dallas where Ezekiel Elliott is now, and he goes to Urban Meyer, and he says, all right, look, I'm not coming back from my last year. I'm going pro. Your situation's a little different, but after two years, are you part of the council? You get what I mean by that? Are you helping them pick a college to go to? And Absolutely, absolutely. You know, some of the boys have, you know, want to play right away, and, 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 and some of the boys want to go to a Division One program. Some of them want to be, you know, closer to Dallas. And so after you know, knowing them and, get, and, and getting close with them for two years, I have a real good understanding where their next level on the field should be and in, in the classroom, too. Me being an academic advisor, I'm, I'm, I'm very keen and, and, and aware of how they do in the classroom. And so I really plan and help them. You know, there's a, a, a company here called The Sports Source that I've worked with for a few years before I got coaching, Charlie Kodupski is a close friend of mine. He has a company that they have match fit, and they do some things really, really well to, to, to help student-athletes, and we access some of his stuff and help our guys to move on and find the right fit for them, whether it's in Dallas, out of Texas, in Texas, back east, west, whatever, and, 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 and we're really good at that. We take pride on that. Charlie Kadupski, he's a name familiar to the NSCAA. He's been Absolutely. a featured clinician forever. Have you been to any conventions, or do you know his association with the NSCAA? Absolutely. Charlie gave me my break here. Believe it or not, when I first came to Dallas back in 1994, I coached here in 1996, but also in 1994, and I pretty much knocked on Charlie's door, and he gave me a job. I was working with him and his company for the sports horse for two years. Also, he had... Back in the day, one of the um, top clubs here, the Dallas Storm Soccer Club, and, you know, started coaching with them. And we had a great staff over there. Um, I'm sure you know Tom Durkin and, and some of these other guys um, that, that were from the Dallas area. So I got involved with the right guys at the right time. And as you know, Tom Durkin coached at Richland College back in the early 90s as well. So we have a great tradition in Dallas at Richland from just top coaches and and it's just a lot of fun out here. Sean, we're all about dropping names on the NSCA College <laughs> Soccer Podcast, so keep that going. Let's talk about this amazing run from 2002 to 2007. Are you kidding me? You won it in 02, won it in 03, won it in 04, runner-up in 05, won it in 06, won it, up in, won it in 07. Somehow you were slackers in 08, but you were back in the national championship game in 2009. What a run. What was that all about? Well, it's just a lot of fun. We just We just had a great run. We had probably... You know, the first two years, we had like about four core players that were just big time. These guys were just on, and, and for whatever reason, they just clicked on the field, off the field, and we had a great run in that 2000-2003 with the same players. Then we had kind of the, a new team for 2004 that, that, that we had a lot of transfers in, and that was kind of a, a, a great run. The team we lost with in 2005 was a bunch of freshmen, and they came back and won in 2006. 
And so it's just been a, a great run. It's the consistency. We have players that play here that for two years, probably 80% of our guys come back for two years. So it's not a high turnover. They play for us the first year. They want to come back the second year. And if you get a good core in your first year, like we did, they're here two years, it's magical. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And, 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 again, we take pride in keeping our retention. Our guys stay here, and they, and they love it, and they want to play. And having that consistency on the field in the classroom, it just helps my job much easier. Well, you started another run, third place in 2013, second place in 2014, <laughs> third place last year. I mean, yeah. I get the feeling because you've won so many national championships, third place you're not happy with, right? I mean, you I, want to win it all. I know. It's just, it's just, you know, I, and again, we're going through a run here. Hopefully that will change up. It's just, you know, again, it's competitive. What, what I'm pride, uh, proud of is that, you know, when we go to the Nationals, everyone wants to beat us. It's, it's great. I mean, it's fun. I love it. So we have some great games against some top colleges out in New York, and, you know, and, and those are fun because we've raised the, the level. They, you know, they see us coming in, and they go, hey, we want to knock Richland off, and it's been great games. And every game we play out there is a lot of fun, and, and it's competitive. 1-0, penalty kicks, overtime, you name it. We've, we've done it. And it's a, just it's just fun. It's just exciting competition at its highest level, you know, for, for the junior colleges. Finally, Coach, one or two players that uh, our listeners should know attended Richland College and went on to successful college and even pro careers. Since I've been here, we haven't had many pro players go on. We've had a lot of, you know, players go the D1 route. You know, we've, we've, we've come across a lot of pros. I'll tell you what, we, as you know, um, you mentioned Steve Clements. We, you know, with um, Tyler Community College, we've battled head-to-head with them. They had a great player. As you know, Dom Dwyer played um, out there. We played against Dane Richards. We've, we've focused in on getting our guys to the high-end D1s, and that's where we, we are, are very proud of. Some of our guys have gone to Mexico and played the second divisions. Some of them played in the USL and, and like that. We haven't had a top pro in MLS you know, quite yet, but we're very proud to get our boys the high end D D one and again we played against our share of pros. It's a lot of fun with like like you said, the um J C two year community colleges, we have tons of pros, you know, that, that are that are coming through our ranks. You know, Damani Ralph Dane Richards, all these guys are from, you know, our local area where we played them out of Texas, and, and, and it was a lot of fun. All right. You've got uh, your team at number one in the country, Love and Life in Dallas, converted Dallas Cowboys fan as well with uh, <laughs> Dak and Zeke. So the Absolutely. Cowboys may win it all this year, and you may win it all this year again as well. Coach, thanks for the great energy to start the show. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your questions, and looking forward to, you know, talking to you again, and hopefully we'll have a another national championship in 2016. You win it. We're talking to you. Thanks for being with us, Coach. You're welcome. Thank you. When we come back, Chad Waller breaks down NAIA men's and women's soccer right here on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.
Welcome to the NSCA podcast for the week of October 17th. I'm Chad Waller giving you exciting information again on all news around NAIA women's soccer. Let's get started. Spring Arbor University and Kaiser University tie for the number one rank in the NAIA women's soccer coaches top 25 poll this week. The Cougars have earned the number one rank now for seven weeks in a row and are riding a 33-match unbeaten streak as they go for their 34th straight winner tie this Wednesday against Bethel College out of Indiana. This marks the first time there is a tie for the number one rank in the coaches' top 25 poll dating back to 1999. This also is the first number one ranking for Kaiser University on the season. A remarkable stat about Spring Arbor is the fact that defense has allowed just two goals through 14 matches while the offense has scored 48. The 33-match unbeaten streak for Spring Arbor is not the longest all-time in the NAIA. The Cougars sit at number 5 all-time behind Azusa Pacific University at 37. The all-time leader is Mobile at 48 back during the 1999 season. Number 24 Georgetown and number 25 Olivet Nazarene are this week's newcomers in the top 25. Georgetown last held a ranking in the 2015 postseason poll back on December 9th, while Olivet Nazarene's last mention was on September 27th earlier this year. There are still five undefeated teams left in NAI women's soccer. Davenport leads the NAI currently in wins with a 14-0-1 mark, followed by Spring Arbor at 13-0-1, Kaiser at 12-0. Biola at 11-0-1, and Kansas Wesleyan University at 11-0-2. Katie Reed of Martin Methodist College has been named the NAI National Women's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week, and Regan Troff of Davenport University has been named the NAI National Women's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. In two top ten matches last week for Martin Methodist, Reed recorded two goals and two assists in route to six points. Reed scored the equalizer goal on Thursday against then number seven Mobile, and then went on to hit the game-winning goal against then number three William Carey on Saturday. In three matches last week for Trough, she recorded 16 saves and goals, surrendering only one goal to then number five Northwestern Ohio. She also posted a career-high nine saves in the upset win over Northwestern Ohio. Looking at the NAI goals leader this year, Julia Skojian of Fisher College has the NAI best 26 goals in 13 matches. She has now tallied 98 career goals and needs 11 more to crack the NAI women's soccer top 10 career goals list. Trailing Skojian on the season goals charts is Jamie Karch of Cardinal Stritch University with 21 goals in 14 matches. That's Chad Waller getting it done as always, breaking down the NAIA soccer scene. That was women. This is his report on men. Oklahoma Wesleyan earns its fifth consecutive number one ranking in the latest NAIA men's soccer coaches top 25 poll the national office announced Tuesday. The Eagles, who are 12-0-1 on the year, gathered all 19 first place votes and 529 points in the poll. The Eagles currently hold a 28-match undefeated streak, which is tied for seventh all-time longest in the NAIA. The Eagles are currently 26-0-2 during their last 28 matches dating back to last year. This Wednesday, Oklahoma Wesleyan hosts Kansas Wesleyan as the Eagles wrap up the regular season with five more matches in the next two weeks. After not holding a preseason top 25 ranking, Hastings College out of Nebraska slides in to grab the number one two ranking this week. The Broncos lead the NAI with the most wins with 15 so far. The number two position for the Broncos is the highest position this year in the top 25 for Hastings. 
With a 10-0-1 record, number 7 Campbellsville sits in second behind top-ranked Oklahoma Wesleyan for the lengthiest unbeaten streak at 27 matches. The Tigers currently are 24-0-3, dating back to September of 2015. Number 20, Menlo out of California. Number 21, Rocky Mountain of Montana. And number 22, Central Methodist of Missouri. And number 25, Tennessee Wesleyan are this week's newcomers. This marks the first time that Menlo and Central Methodist have been ranked in the top 25. Like the women's side, there are still five undefeated teams in NAI men's soccer. Hastings College, Oklahoma Wesleyan, Campbellsville, Bryan out of Tennessee, and Evergreen State out of Washington. Individually speaking, Alexandre Tyre of Oklahoma City University has been named the NAI National Men's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week, and Caleb Jenkins of Benedictine College out of Kansas has been named the NAI National Men's Soccer Defensive Player of the Week. Tyre posted two of the Stars' three goals as he helped Oklahoma City defeat Southwestern Christian last week. In goal, Jenkins recorded 13 saves as he led the Ravens to three shutout victories last week. Overall, he has posted four shutouts in Kansas Collegiate Athletic Conference play. Looking at the NAI goals leader this year, Daniel Whitehall of Hastings leads the country with 24 goals in 15 matches. Next on the goals list is Alex Durbin of Dort College out of Iowa with 20 goals on the year. The assist leader in the NAIA currently goes to Andrew Higgins of Indiana Tech as he's assisted 12 goals in 12 matches. Tyler Klein of Cincinnati Christian University is close behind with 11 assists in 13 matches. This concludes this edition of the NAIA Men's Soccer program of the NSCA podcast. Check back next week for more exciting news around NAIA Men's Soccer. The 2017 NSCAA Convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com. From junior college to NAIA, we move up to the Division III level. The University of Chicago men remain unbeaten, running their record of 14-0-0 after two University Athletic Association victories against Brandeis and New York University. Having only allowed five goals in 14 games, expect Coach Mike Baps. Yes, he's been on our program and his boys to keep on grinding out results. Trinity from Texas is also undefeated, posting a 15-0-0 record. Coach Paul McGinley's squad posted two home results last week, downing Austin College 1-0 and Centenary from Louisiana 6-0. On the women's side, three teams remain undefeated. Number one, William Smith under Alice Ann Wilbur on the program. Number three, Trinity of Texas at 14-0-0. And number five, Steve. Stevens Institute of Technology, led by Jeff Parker, now in his 17th season. And Coach Parker joins me now. Coach, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Dean. All right, let's uh, get everybody up to speed on Stevens Institute of Technology. Where are you located? What makes your school so special? We're located in Hoboken, New Jersey, so that's just right across the Hudson from New York City. And we're a a small uh, school, about 3,000 undergrads and uh, math and science-based um, about 70 to 75 percent of our students, athletes and students, are in the College of Engineering and Science. And um, I guess our claim to fame is our return on investment. 
and uh, the great careers that everyone goes on to once they graduate. All right. Well, in 17 years, you've managed to turn a middle-of-the-road program into a national contender. In fact, your tenure at Stevens has included three Empire 8 Conference Championships, seven Skyline Conference titles, one for each season that the Ducks were in the league, and four postseason titles, eight NCAA tournament appearances, two Women's Intercollegiate Athletic Conference Championships, and four Eastern Collegiate Athletic Conference tournament invites that resulted in three ECAC Metro Championships in 2007, 8, and 15. In short, all kinds of success. So clearly, you like what you've done there. You've got some continuity, and you, your teams continue to produce, Coach. Well, we've been pretty fortunate just with the student-athletes who've been able to attract to our program. And um, I'm just really lucky that it's been a really good fit for me. And um, we just keep working on trying to get a little bit better every day. All right. Obviously, you're undefeated. What kind of soccer are you playing there? Well, I, I think our kind of style is uh, we like to kind of get forward and score goals. We have a lot of fun doing that. We're, we're, we're about uh, getting the ball forward and combining and playing together and, you know, tr- trying to make sure that uh, all our parts, when you add them up together, are worth more than just them individually. You also hold certifications from the NSCAA and the U.S. Soccer Federation. You've completed courses for UEFA, the Czech Football Association, and the Football Association of Ireland. You also served on the New Jersey NSCAA staff, and you served four years on the NCAA Division III Women's Soccer Committee, the last two as the national chair. So clearly, you're putting in the time. You're from San Antonio, Texas. Why did you take all that time, particularly with the NSCAA, to get all of that work done? It sounds like I need a hobby or something. <laughs> um, right now, uh, it's, just, it's just about learning and trying to get better and um, I enjoy going to some of those courses and just to kind of immerse yourself into soccer and kind of learn from other people and just to try and stretch your brain a little bit. And um, I don't know, it's just something I've been passionate about for a long time and uh, fortunate to be in a good situation to be able to do a lot of these things. Well, you spent some time as an assistant coach, including a little bit of time of Georgetown. Ironically, Dave Nolan is also on the program. What a job he's done in 13 years as the Georgetown women's soccer coach. But how did that time prepare you for this head coaching job at Stevens Institute of Technology? It's been great. Um, just being able to, to kind of really get my foot in the door and, and work every angle and aspect and uh, I really, uh, you know, that time there was uh, fantastic and getting me a chance to just kind of understand what it was all about. Um, coach Leonel Popel was the head coach there, and I just badgered him long enough to, to kind of let me hang out and kind of understand and run some training sessions, and luckily everything kind of kind of blossomed from there. You also spent three years playing and living in England. Talk about that experience. My father was a civilian contractor for the United States Air Force and had a chance to kind of go over there between uh, like sophomore and senior year of high school. So uh, a little traumatic uh, as as someone who uh, sometimes uh, struggles a little bit socially, but uh, got over there and and, and played and uh, found out that I was the only one with an American accent, but uh, found found a way to kind of knock the ball around and kind of understand some things. I was over there like during the 86 World Cup and the whole hand of God thing. So um, it, it was a great time for me and my development and, and just gives me a, a little bit different perspective, I would say, than uh, some other people or some other coaches. And it just makes it some good talking points, I think. Now, I mentioned all the accolades. The only thing missing is a national championship. With your team undefeated, do you have a team that could win a national championship? 
I think every coach is going to say yes, and I'll be I'll be the coach and tell you the same thing. We've got some um, some really special student athletes, um, but the biggest thing for our team right now is our culture and just the the type of people we have and the decisions that they've made both on and off the field in not only regard to themselves but to each other. And I really think that what makes our program special right now, especially over the last couple of years. And just the leadership, and we have we have one of our captains. This is our third year as being a captain, and and this first in history of our program where we had someone who's been able to do that. Um, she's learned from other outstanding leaders that have been here in the program, and you know, I could just sit there and name name after name, but uh, it's just amazing how they've grown as their roles as leaders, and. You know, it, it really kind of comes down to it's like they're they're not playing with each other; they're playing for each other, and that's kind of been a little bit of our battle cry. And it's just a fun group to work with. So, spending that time in England, and then as an assistant coach at Georgetown at St. Peter's at the D one level, I like to ask this question to the D two and D three coaches that join me: Explain the difference in level, because some of them have said there's some players at the D three level that could easily be starting for D one teams. What are your thoughts? It's kind of strange that the uh, overall thought process, I think, and it's kind of a little bit non-conventional because everybody thinks that you know, if you're D1, you're better than D2, and if you're D2, you're better than D3. And, you know, I've heard some of the other podcasts with a couple of the, the coaches talking about Napoleon complexes and things like that, <laughs> especially here at D3. But um, it, it's, it's, it's just a little bit different, and we play Division ones and Division twos. We actually start, we open the season with the scrimmage since Columbia, and then we played Westchester during uh, preseason as well, and I still think they're undefeated in D2. And, you know, I think we surprised them. They're like, whoa, like, you guys can play as well. Um, and, you know, we're, we're proud of that fact. And, you know, there's some great teams. Uh, there's some great teams. There's some great student-athletes. And the biggest thing is that they're choosing school first. And, um, I mean, a lot of times that we've got people on our team that when they played club level, they, they're the only person on their entire team that has chosen to go to the Division three level. And, you know, they're looking for a place to get a great education, but they don't want to give up their passion for the game. You know, they find out that their priorities mirror the same that are in our program or other Division three programs, that school comes first, and our program and family comes before that. And, you know, don't take this the wrong way. You know, our training sessions and matches are, are played at a pretty high level. But, uh, you know, these people just made up their educational priorities. They figured those are more important than getting an athletic scholarship. Oh, that's so well said. And certainly, um, as you've said, uh, all of your players go on to successful professional careers. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about as the student athlete. And Jeff, we mentioned all your diplomas um, and your continued relationship <laughs> with the NSCAA. Are you still using that as a resource uh, for your development? Absolutely. Um, you know, I've got uh, a pretty uh, good list of, of coaches that uh, I've met through either, either coaching or being part of these, uh, these uh, courses. And, um, you know, it's just a great resource to have them and, and to kind of run things by them. And, and our, my kind of board of directors, I call them, you know, if you've got a problem, you can go to them and they're always there for you. Um, people like Scott Fry over at, at Messiah, uh, Allison Wilbur at, at William Smith, Marcus Wood, Harden Simmons, Jillian Gachos at Westcon, I mean, Stephanie Webb at UT Tyler, Randy Hansen, who just left Preacher Sound to be an assistant with U20s. Um, you know, these, these people have been great to me, and um, I really appreciate all the help they've given me and, you know, the NSCAA and all that stuff. 
That's what we do. We drop names on this program. We drop them in the entire program. I love that. I'm going to put you on the spot to end your best memory as a soccer player, coach. You've had a great uh, run. It's going to continue to go. What's your best memory at, at any of it, coach? Well, I, I hope it's still in front of us. But um, there, there, there was, uh, I don't know, maybe our first Empire 8 championship, maybe – you know, the first time we made the NCAAs, we were the first Stevens team ever to get in and to host and, and, and to win a game. That was all exciting. And, you know, being ranked in the top 10 is fantastic and all that. But honestly, I, I, we had a great session last night and just <laughs> watching our team get together and just enjoying watching them grow and develop and, and work hard for each other and, and just be excited about where they're headed. And, you know, that's, that was a great moment for me just last night. And I hopefully those continue the rest of the rest of the way. And as long as we can still have those, I'll, I'll probably still be a college coach. So. Well, Coach, it warms my heart to hear that you've listened to a couple of the podcasts. Thank you so much for doing that. And then, of course, thanks for uh, being such a wonderful guest. We wish you all the luck as you chase down that national championship. And as you said, even more memories ahead of you. Thanks for being with us, Coach. Thanks so much, Dean, for you and all you do and for the NCAA for having us on board. Thanks so much. The NSCAA is 75 years strong and continues to provide quality service and benefits to soccer coaches. Whether you're a youth, high school, college, or professional coach, the NSCAA works to be a voice for you. Speaking of voice, once again, here's Dean Linky. Next, we drop in on the D2 soccer season, starting with women. Still at number one is Western Washington. Their coach, Travis Canal has been on the program, as has Jeff Hostler, who now has Grand Valley State at number two and looking for their third title in three years. At number three and climbing the ladder and still undefeated is Westchester. And guess what? We have also had their coach, Betty and Kev Townsley, on the program. Kevin Love likes to drop dimes. We like to drop names, and we like to talk to the coaches that are making it happen. On the men's side for D2, Wingate, LIU Post, St. Edwards, and Simon Fraser are one through four, respectively, as Rockhurst and Charleston, two programs featured here already, are at five and six. Receiving some votes this week is Tiffin University, located in Northwest Ohio, and led by head coach Rudy Brunel. The Tiffin Dragons are 10-3-1, and and before facing Northwood last Wednesday, Tiffin was coming off a stretch of playing five games in ten days, and they went 4-1 and in those five games. Rudy Brunel is a great story. At three, his mom left him in Liberia to go to America and chase the American dream. He came over when he was 13, grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and then he went to Tiffin to play soccer and get an education. He would get two degrees from Tiffin, and he would come back to coach now for 17 years at Tiffin, sometimes coaching men and women at the same time. And Rudy Brownell joins me now. Coach, thanks for being with me. Uh, how you doing, sir? Pleasure to be with you, and uh, definitely excited to hear your story because you were born in Liberia. Talk about what you remember remember coming over here at just 13 years old? I remember, uh, obviously, you know, the education was a little bit different from when I first got here because obviously with English being a second language, you know, my first couple of years, it was a little bit difficult, you know, going to school. I remember my mom had to, uh, after school, I had to go to uh, basically a reading class to try to get my, try to get me up to speed, up to par. I remember all those things coming over here, and obviously, you know, back when I was back in Liberia, football or soccer, what it called over here, was the number one sport. So I played all my life, so it was kind of great. And obviously, my mom came here a little bit earlier than I did. She probably, was, she probably came here 10 years before I came over. 
obviously when I came over, I went to uh, Columbus Eastmore's middle school in Columbus, Ohio, and went to I went to a uh, seventh eighth grade, and obviously after that I went to the high school, Columbus Eastmore High School, and graduated from there. And after I graduated, obviously got recruited by some bigger school and decided to come to Tiff University and play because at that time the coach there was Ian Day and a great guy, great mentor. Uh, he actually. Everything I can say, I want to coach and solve things are going to help me get to where I'm at right now. So I want to get to uh, how you ended up in Tiffin, and we will. But uh, explain that a little bit better for me. So you're the only child to to your mom, is that right? And she left when you were three. Like, how did you? Who raised you? Uh, I was there with my dad. You know, my dad raised me obviously at a younger age, and obviously when my mom she sent for me, sent for me back in. I came here at the age of ten, you know, thirteen years old. So 10 years or so without my mom, and my dad did. Wow. Did you see her at all in those 10 years? No, nope, never did. And then, never did at all. And then you just reconnected with your mom and picked right up and, and in the United States. That's pretty amazing, right? I mean, that's not an easy thing for a 13-year-old, right? No, that's not an easy thing at all. That's not easy at the age of three years, obviously. That's not an easy, very easy thing. So it was a little bit difficult, you know, when I first got over here, but obviously... You know, not seeing your mom for 10 years, you kind of make the adjustment, you kind of catch up, and everything was great. And, you know, obviously, don't have no remorse for my mom. They obviously, over here was a better situation for her, and she was trying to make a better life for me. Well, so, and with that, I mean, obviously, your bond is strong because you told me she had a stroke a few years ago, and you spent a lot of your off time with her. Just talk about that bond, Coach. Yeah, I mean, my mom was, uh, the situation with her is, I mean, obviously, Hard-working mom, everything I ever did. Obviously, she drove everywhere when I first got here for, and because of the soccer. Drove me everywhere else. She worked very hard to actually put me through college and stuff. So, you know, a couple of years ago, probably between, let's say, five, five or seven years ago, she had a stroke, and she got obviously let go of her job. And, you know, she's been home. You know, luckily for her, it's, her retirement fund is kind of a – Good situation, kind of help her out a little bit. So I spend most of my time going back and forth to see her and make sure she's okay. And my family at home in Columbus, Ohio, does a very good job of her by looking after her and taking care of her. All right. Well said. Just an incredible story. And you end up, uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm actually from Fremont, Ohio, only about uh, 15 miles or maybe 20 miles away from Tiffin, Ohio. It's Northwest Ohio, hardworking communities, great people. I want to say about two hours from Columbus, maybe just a little bit less. Obviously, you went to high school in Columbus. So you already mentioned your coach at Tiffin, but you know, you said you could have played at bigger programs. What made you decide, hey, I'm going to go to Tiffin, not the biggest school, but I'm going to make it happen there? Because my mom was always big on education. I want to make sure I graduated because I have some buddies that went to big schools and going to a big school, some of them still have not graduated yet. And I have graduated with a, for a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. So, and for me, on my mom's side, things she's always big on education. You got to make sure you get out there and get yourself an education. Yes, you want to play the soccer. I understand that. You, you think you can play the next level. I understand that. But at the same time, as if something happens to you, if you don't have that degree, what are you going to fall back on? So because of that, obviously, an 18, 19-year-old kid took that advice from my mom. I decided to come to Tiffany University. And Tiffany University for me was great because I came as a freshman and actually played. You know, so I played freshman. I played sophomore year. My junior and senior year started every single game for Tiffany University. Never left the field. Like I told you before, I graduated and I went home. And I went home. I didn't have a job after I graduated. So my buddy Jimmy Walker took over the women's program here at Tiffany University. 
And when I got back home, you know, I didn't have a job. He called me up. He said, hey, I just I just got this women job at Tiffany University. Do you want to come back and help me out? And I came back, helped him out with the women. I also was a, was a full-time assistant with the men while doing my master's degree. And also both teams at that time, we was NAIA, was top 25 in the country. It was a lot of work for me going out recruiting for both teams and making sure that we are top 25 in the country. For several years, you were a coach of both the men and women. How hard is that, coach? It's very difficult, but when you love something and uh, you when you love it, you put you try to, you tend to put a, you try to put a time into it. So for me, it was great because I love. I think recruiting is a, is is the biggest part of biggest part of the program. You know, making sure that you're getting the right kids. And we basically for us, both men and women at the time, like I said, again was top 25 when I took over both programs. And I had some great assistants that actually helped me out. You know, getting out recruiting kids and trying to get kids into the program. So it was great. To have a great program, you got to have assistant coaches. And obviously, if you don't mind, I would like to get those guys' names on, on the air also, too, if you can. And one of my assistants is Logan Lenseth, is my full-time assistant. My graduate assistant is Oliver Baduck, who used to play for me here at Tiffin. And my volunteer assistant is Kenny Hewitt. So those guys do a very good job. For every successful program, you need great assistant coaches. You know, I obviously go on and beyond for you. All right. Now you've got uh, your men's team humming. In fact, one of the reasons we wanted to feature you, not only because you're top 25, but you played five games in 10 days and went four and one. That's a brutal schedule. Talk about how you got through that. Uh, it's a brutal schedule, but again, these, these group of guys that we've had this year, in my opinion, I think they're very special kids. And we have had some great teams here, you know. But these guys, group of guys, Great guys to work very hard, and you know, and our bench for us been very great because we had some great kids that brought the bench, kind of help us out to kind of give some of those guys some rest. It was you know for us it was great. It's very good. It's a good time to be in Ohio, obviously, with the uh, Cavaliers winning the national championship. The Indians are one game away from the World Series. The Ohio State Buckeyes are rolling. You know, a lot of times it seems like, and I'm from Ohio, people make fun of Ohio for whatever reason, but they're good people, aren't they? They're hardworking, honest people. They're very, they're very good, and that's, and that's something that we try to pride our program here at Tiffany University. You know, we bring kids in. We lay up. Yes, obviously you got to have a kid who want to play soccer, but at the same time, is you have to be you have to be a blue collar kid who wants to work. You know, and our biggest thing we try to preach our kid here. Yes, if you come to Tiffany University, you got an opportunity here to graduate in four years with a degree. And you win something. I mean, we're not Division One school, but at the same time, is we make sure that kids have complete eligibility for us here at Tiff University have graduated in four years with a degree, and they get to win a conference championship, maybe go to the NCAA tournament. All right, and the support around Tiff University. My boss Lonnie Allen, great guy, and I love this guy to death. He does a good job for for my men's soccer program here because you know he does you know he supports us a lot. You know, a good and I always tell people, people always ask me the question. Why you don't leave to go somewhere else? You know, if you have great support, you got a great opportunity, you got a chance to win it, you know, a chance to win every year, why do you want to leave? You know, and that's my whole thing there. And, and I always say, I always say to people, is for me, here at Tiffany University, it's not about the money. It's about making sure that, you know, we're bringing the right people in, you got the right support in, and you feel comfortable in where you work at. And I love Tiffany University. And obviously, I'm a Tiffany University graduate, so I'm going to say the good things about it. But I love this place. I think the place is going the right direction. Oh, no doubt. When you roll into Tiffin and all of a sudden you roll up on Tiffin University, I mean, it's pristine. The improvements that university has made over the years, I mean, it's pretty awesome. Right, Coach? And I think it'll even get even better because 
obviously we have a new president, and she's uh, you know all and she she give coaches to get the facility the, the support that we need. And again, going back again, my athletic director does a very good job in you know trying to get us to where we need to be at. So I think it's very, I think at Tiff University, I think it's a very exciting time of year for us, and I'm looking forward to it. Have you been back to Liberia ever? I have not been back to Liberia, but I, I plan on going back pretty soon. All right, Coach. Well, we're glad uh, you made it over here. We're so glad that you're in Ohio getting it done at Tiffin. Congrats on all your success. Several years with men and women, now with the men. You look like you've got a team that could make a run for a national championship. Pleasure to be with you, Coach. Congrats, and thanks so much for spending some time with us on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. Thank you very much, and nice to be talking with somebody who actually know what Tiffin is. All right. I love Tiffin. And go Dragons. Go Dragons. Thanks, Coach. Thank you. Okay, well done. We've covered junior college, NAIA, Division Three, Division Two. When we come back, we'll start talking Division One, And we'll do that first with Rob Kehoe, the NSCAA Director of College Programs. He's next, right here on the NSCAA College Soccer Podcast. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com. Time now to switch to Division I soccer. And to get things started, we're pleased to be joined again by Rob Kehoe, the Director of College Programs for the NSCAA. Rob, good to have you back on the show. Thank you, Dean. Good to be with you. Now, Rob, as the NSCAA Director of College Programs, you told me that one of your areas of oversight is the Division I Top 25 rankings. Can you talk a little bit about what that entails, Rob? Yes. Well, every week, uh, as you know, and nationally, our poll goes out for the national top 25 in all divisions. Uh, but for Division One men's and women's soccer, uh, we have a national ranking committee, and that ranking committee is made up of a representative from each conference, a head coach from each conference, and they submit a national top 25 poll every week. And so the accumulation of their votes is what's represented in the top 25 poll. In working with the committee, one of the things that I do is I provide them with a weekly report that provides an update of results and records for all the teams that were in the previous week's top 25 or had received votes so that they can have a good snapshot of what's happened in the week and then they can look at those teams throughout the what they've accomplished throughout the year and help them to be educated in their voting. So make no mistake, with your preparation of the weekly report for the committee, that certainly keeps you well-tuned into what's going on nationally. What would you say, Rob Kehoe, are the top stories of note this year in Division One soccer? Uh, the the top story to me is competitiveness. Uh, and looking each week at the top 25, those who receive votes as well as those that aren't, uh, because I do a pretty thorough view nationally of all the games. But just for instance, last week, uh, there were 39 teams on the Division One women's side who were in the top 25 or received votes. And 20 of those teams either lost or tied games. And of those teams, they played 49 games. Last week on the Division One women's side was mainly a one-game weekend uh, as they were just getting rested up for the final push 
on the last couple weekends of the season. So they played 49 games. 34 of those games were decided by a goal or less. On the men's side, there were 39 teams in top 25 who received votes, and 22 of those teams lost or tied games. They played 70 games, and 52 of those games were decided by one goal or less. So it's very competitive around the country, and every week there are surprises. Uh, in the top 25 in on the women's side, there are seven conferences represented. On the men's side, there are 12 conferences represented in the top 25. On the women's side, you still primarily have the teams coming from the BCS conferences, but on the men's side, with 12 of the conferences represented, we have half the conferences on uh, the men's side that have teams in the top 25. What do you attribute that to, Rob? Well, I would say that it's all the result of the increased development and improvement of our youth system, uh, where the net has been broadened significantly both on the boys' and girls' side to uh, for the development area so that many more of the players coming into college are much highly much more highly skilled uh have a lot more experience playing in high level games and this would relate to primarily on the boys side the United States Development Academy uh in terms of what that has done across the uh country over the last number of years and then the elite clubs national league for the women and that will soon have a uh the girls' side will also uh, soon have a development academy. So I just feel that the the youth game has, has broadened significantly and increased the talent pool that has spread more broadly across the country uh, now. The other thing, particularly on the men's side, is the increased number of international players coming to play college soccer uh, in the United States, where they've been in their youth systems internationally and they begin to look at the horizon as to whether they're going to be a first-team player in the clubs that they've grown up with, uh, and they begin to see that may not work out, but they see a really good developmental opportunity uh, coming to the United States to play high-level soccer, plus also get an academic education. So that's very significantly influenced I think the spread of the talent across the country, for instance, you'd see teams in the Division I men's top 25, like Radford or Loyola of Illinois, UMass Lowell. I mean, teams like that that you typically would not see in the top 25, they're there now with very solid records as well as good results uh, throughout their seasons. Makes it pretty exciting. So as the regular season is hitting the stretch run and with what you know about the National Division One landscape, what are your predictions for on the women's side for having a little fun? Who is on their way to San Jose? And for the men, who do you think has the makings to, quote, climb to the heights in Houston? Let's have you go out on a limb, Rob Kehoe. Well, I don't go out on too many limbs anymore um, because in climbing a tree a couple of years ago, one of the limbs broke. And so with the tightness of the competition this year, I, I just would not even venture a guess. I mean, it is so wide open on both sides. For instance, you look on the women's side in the Pac-12. Who's leading the Pac-12 right now? 
are Utah, Colorado, and Cal. Now, Cal is typically at the top of the Pac-12, but Utah or Colorado have never been in the, at the top of the Pac-12, and they are sitting at the top of the Pac-12 right now. There's still five games to play in the Pac-12, so they got 15 points still on the table. And this week, Cal, Stanford, Utah, and Colorado are all playing each other, and or Colorado and, and Utah are playing Stanford and Cal. So we'll see what happens in that weekend. But that's how it looks all the way across the country. There's very few runaways right now in the, in the women's side in the, uh, in the Big Ten. Penn State sits at the top with 21 points, followed by Northwestern uh, with 20 points, and Michigan with 20 points, I believe it is. And or Minnesota with 20 points. And so they've got a couple of games left, too, just to see who gets the number one bid in their conference tournaments. On the men's side, you have, I think, kind of a runaway in the Big Ten with with uh, Maryland already securing the, the title there. But in the ACC and other conferences, it's going to be right down to the wire. And that's how it's looking all the way across the country. I mean, the WCC on the West, you've got uh, Loyola Marymount, and Pepperdine on top, where BYU is in the three, third slot in the West Coast Conference, and they're rated in the top ten in the in the national poll. So it's it's going to be very interesting to see who's on their way to San Jose or who climbs to the heights in Houston. One of those teams that might be on their way to San Jose is the Georgetown Hoyas. Dave Nolan is up next. What a job he's done, Rob. Absolutely. I mean, and they're they're a team that has had tremendous results this year, and they continue to uh, to stride toward that goal of winning the Big East as well as then getting on their way to San Jose. I mean, their their win against Virginia was one of the big surprises uh, in the year, but probably no surprise to Dave and his team because of the qualities that they have. And on the men's side, climbing their heights in Houston, how about Jamie Franks? Denver has not lost a regular season game since get this Rob Keel October of 2014 he's also on the program well and that's another terrific story I mean and again Denver has been really solid for the last number of years but they've not been a team playing out of the summit that gets a lot of recognition uh, but they have continued to put up very good results they have a stiff contest this week against New Mexico uh, so they've been terrific as I mentioned already you've got the Radfords the Loyola of Illinois who have all uh, come on the scene and are strong. But Denver is one who's in the top five and is really making their mark. Finally, earlier this week, I called Keith Batsnick looking for Dave Nolan. Guess who he was with when I called him? He was with Dave Nolan. It was crazy. I'm like, hey, I need to get a hold of Dave Nolan. And he passed the phone over as Keith Batsnick, a legend at Georgetown, still hanging around the program. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's, he's their biggest fan on both the men's and women's side, as well as all of college soccer. I mean, all the the tours that we did over the number of years. And, and if there's one person educated on college soccer from both the coach perspective and understanding the landscape it's Keith Sebastian Rob Kehoe thanks for being with us always a pleasure all right Dean have a great day Rob Kehoe set the table Dave Nolan the head coach of the Georgetown women's soccer team is up next by being a member of the NSCAA, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find like-minded people passionate about bettering themselves to help better their players and ultimately to better the game.
Rob Kehoe did a great job setting the table for the Division I scene. First, we take a look at women. Nikki Izzo-Brown's West Virginia team, after knocking off Texas Tech last week, remains at number one. Shelly Smith, University of South Carolina at number two. Paul Ratcliffe has Stanford at three. Robbie Church and Duke at number four. USC at number five. Jennifer Rockwood and BYU at number six. And coming in at number seven, the Georgetown Hoyas, led by Dave Nolan in 13 seasons as head coach at Georgetown. Dave Nolan has guided the Hoyas women's soccer program to be one of the top teams in the country. Nolan has led the team to four straight NCAA tournament appearances and six in the last nine years, and he has coached eight All-Americans and five Hoyas who earned Big East Player of the Year honors, and he's twice been named the Big East Coach of the Year, and Dave Nolan joins me now. Dave, pleasure to be with you, ranked number seven in the country. Yeah, happy to be here. Dave, you have not lost since your game against Stanford. Things are going pretty well. Talk about uh, your team. What kind of team do you have this year, Coach? Uh, It's an interesting group, actually. Um, It's a very quiet group, very driven group. Uh, I probably have to be honest, it's it's maybe not the the most talented group I've, I've had, but it's definitely the most driven and committed group. I think it has a certain intangible that, it's hard to put your finger on, on what it is, but um, they certainly have it. Well, you beat the number one team in the country, West Virginia. You also beat Steve Swanson and Virginia. So those are two big wins. Talk about what went right in those two games. I think whenever you play teams of, of that quality, first of all, you're battling the name on the jersey. And you, you, you really have to have belief that you can win the game. And I think this group, for me, it's, it's a seasoned veteran group. We've got five seniors and we've got three fifth-year students and a bunch of upper class. So I think stepping on the field, you have to believe you've got a chance to win it. And then as the game goes on, you have to have a game plan. You have to try and limit what they do really well. And you have to have a plan for what you're going to do when your team gets the ball. And and I thought in both games, actually, uh, we did a pretty good job at that. Um, The Virginia game came first, and that was definitely a challenging game. And um, we went down 2 nothing in the game, and actually at one point it looked like they could run away with it. Uh, but we, we kind of got to grips with it, uh, got a goal back, and then you could see the tide was turning a little bit. And I don't think anybody who was at the game could deny by the end of it we, we were certainly worthy of the result. Um, West Virginia was a completely different game. Uh, we've always done well whenever we've gone to Morgantown. I mean, we knocked them out of the NCAAs a couple of years ago, and... Um, Whenever we go up there, I don't know why, but it just seems to be one of those places that we play well. And they're a tremendous team. I mean, they, they, they're legitimately the number one team in the country. Um, they probably have the most athletic team in the country. And when you play them again, you, you've got to try and – you can't stop what they do, but you can limit it. And sometimes you need a little bit of luck. And uh, we dodged a couple of arrows in that game. Um, and then again – when you get it, you've got to have a plan for what you're going to do when you get it. And I always felt we were dangerous in that game. I always felt we had counterattacks in us, and we scored a tremendous goal to win it in overtime. Okay, so West Virginia is still number one, but you know South Carolina hasn't lost a game. You guys haven't lost a game since August. USC is very good. I mean, there's so much parity right now in women's college soccer. I just feel like the programs across the country have never been better. Coach, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, there certainly doesn't seem to be a dominant team like maybe there has been in the past. I mean, you always typically start with the Power Five conferences and um, you look in the ACC this year and there's some very good teams, but there isn't that one team like a Florida State 
or maybe a North Carolina or a Duke that's just rolling through it comfortably. Um, you know, West Virginia is probably the only one, and, and they've gone through the Big 12, and they seem to be going through the Big 12, you know, pretty handily. Um, and even out west, I mean, you know, a Stanford team who we played earlier, who I thought was a tremendous team, I mean, they got handled pretty easily by USC in a game. So it just shows you on any given day, anything can happen. All right, let's get to know Dave Nolan a little bit. You grew up over in Ireland. Talk about uh, your decision to come to the United States. But before that, talk about what it was like growing up there, your family. Did you play soccer over there? What's your story, Dave? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I grew up in Ireland. Um, you know, back back in, in my day when we were playing, um, you were either good enough to go and play in England and, and get you know picked up by one of the premiership teams, um, or you came to America. Uh, our, our domestic league wasn't a particularly strong league at the time. It wasn't a professional league. Um, so there came a point in time, unfortunately for me, as a goalkeeper where I stopped growing, and I realized pretty quickly that a 5'10 goalkeeper was not going to go play for Liverpool. Um, and then the opportunity to come to the U.S. Um, came up, and, and, and I jumped at it. Uh, I had a chance to go and play at Seton Hall, which is where we're leaving today, to head up to play, so it'll be nice to kind of go back uh, home. Um, had a very enjoyable four years at Seton Hall. Had played on a very successful team. Um, played under coaches Ed Kelly and Manfred Shellshade, who just turned 75 this week. So happy birthday, Manny! Mm. Um, so, you know, from from there, really, uh, I kind of moved into coaching completely by by chance. Uh, it wasn't something that I had originally thought about, and. Before you know it, life just throws you a curveball, and, and you're coaching, and, and now you found something that you're passionate about. Explain that passion for the women's game. Did you ever think in a million years, hey, I'll be coaching women at the highest level as far as colleges uh, in the United States? Not in two million years, Dean. <laughs> not, in, not in two million years. It, it just it just so happened, you know. Uh, my predecessor here at, at, at Georgetown, um, who I've got to know pretty well, Diane Drake, who, who you are familiar with, um, had a chance to take over the program at Georgetown, and, and she called me and asked me would I be interested. And at the time, I was very happy. I was a fourth-grade teacher up in New Jersey, and I was still playing, and I was coaching you know, some club stuff and never really had given any thought to, to going into coaching as a profession. Um, and I just came down to visit Georgetown, fell in love with the place, liked what Diane had to say about what she was trying to do with the program. And I'm still here 18 years later. Talk about your best memory in those 18 years, including 13 as the top man. Wow, that's a very good question. I mean, you'd probably have to say the, the year we went to the Elite Eight in 2010. Um, I thought that was a special year uh, with, a, with a special bunch of kids. Uh, but I enjoy every year. I really do. I, I enjoy every year. And um, Georgetown's a great place to work. Washington, D.C. is a great city to live in. The type of kids we get here at Georgetown, they're great kids. They rarely give you any issues. So I'd have to say, you know, every year and I try and look forward and not look back. The most successful player to play under Dave Nolan, somebody that maybe even went on to play professionally? Well, probably the two that jump out, well, three that jump out. One is Ingrid Wells, uh, who graduated here in 2011, who had a great career for us, was three-time All-American and a Herman Trophy semifinalist. Ingrid went on to win a U-20 World Cup with the U.S., uh, went to Sweden, played professionally in Germany for two years, and is now back in uh, doing graduate work in NYU. Um, Emily Menges, who's, who's currently playing for the Portland Thorns and this year made the NWSL, uh, I guess, first team and was the Portland MVP. 
and, and certainly Daphne Corbos, um, who graduated a couple of years ago, um, who had a great career here. Again, another three, three-time All-American and is currently playing at Manchester City uh, in the English Premier League. Going back to the question about parity and trying to win a national championship, which is the ultimate goal, you mentioned your run to the Elite Eight a few years ago. What is it going to take for Georgetown to win a national championship this year? What things have to come together? I know you said maybe not the most talented team, but clearly your team is solid, having not lost since uh, in August. Well, I think it's important um, to try and, and be the team that hosts games as late as you can. Home field advantage, I feel, is crucial. Um, and with that being said, then you know we we certainly would love to be a number one to four or a t- top four seed, and, and certainly if not that, you know certainly a top eight seed, which will get you at home for the first three rounds. So I think that's crucial. Uh, I think the second thing is you need to stay healthy and not pick up any injuries. And then the third thing, like anything, sometimes you've just got to get a little bit of luck. I mean, the year we went to the Elite Eight, um, we had Maryland, who were a number one seed in the second game, and we beat them on penalty kicks. Um, and probably over the course of the game, we were probably a little bit better on that particular day. And it just opened up the draw for us. Um, you know, but unfortunately, we, we had to go on the road for the, the Sweet 16 game, and then we had to go on the road for the Elite Eight game. And I felt if, if we had had you know, the Elite Eight game at home against Ohio State, I thought we would have won that. Excellent point. Finally, I know you've got uh, your premier diploma with the NSCAA. What has that organization meant to you? I've always enjoyed uh, the NSCAA stuff. Um, you know, as, as, as a coach who's always looking to learn and is always, you know, trying to find a, an edge or trying to find something. You know, I've gone down not only the, the Federation coaching courses, the NSCAA courses, and also uh, some international courses. Um, but I've always enjoyed the NSCAA stuff because I feel there's a camaraderie there, and I feel there is a, um, I guess, just a, a, an emphasis on learning rather than testing. They've always managed to bring in some wonderful international coaches, and, and I think it's, 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 it's key for development for all coaches just to continue to learn and to continue to get exposure to different styles and different philosophies. The 2017 NSCAA convention will be unlike any before. Taking over the downtown Los Angeles Convention Center January 11th through 15th. Network with over 11,000 peers at one of the education sessions, the extensive exhibit hall, or one of many social functions, including the college coaches reception and the All-American Luncheon. With more space and unique experiences, you won't want to miss out on the largest gathering of soccer coaches and administrators in the world. Register today at NSCAA.com. We end today's program talking Division I men's soccer. And at number one, Sasho Sarosky has the University of Maryland at 11-0-2. They've already won the Big Ten regular season title, earning the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament. Three ACC teams are at 2-3-4. Wake Forest University, led by Bobby Muse, who we'll get to his story in a moment. University of North Carolina at three and University of Notre Dame at four. At six, it's more ACC love. Syracuse, Ian McIntyre, of course, he's also been on the program. Todd Yegley's Indiana Hoosiers at number seven. Clemson University at number eight. Charlotte at nine. Elmar Bolovich has Creighton at number 10. Last week's guest, Bob Butehorn, has Florida Gulf Coast University at number 11. Coming in at number five, though, 
the Pioneers from the University of Denver. They are amazing. They've not lost a game since October of 2014 when Bobby Muse was still the head coach at Denver. Of course, he's now at Wake Forest. He wanted Jamie Franks to join him there because Jamie Franks starred at Wake Forest. But they promoted Jamie Franks to the head coach at Denver at just 28 years old. And he's kept that unbeaten run in the regular season going. They still have not lost a game since October 2014. And Jamie Franks joins me now. Thanks for having us. Listen, you have kept the run going. This is a program that has not lost a regular season game since 2014. You kept that run in last year. And again, this year, you guys just don't know how to lose a game, coach. That's a good uh, That's a good habit for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's a testament to the kids' hard work. I mean, they put in a lot of work over these past, uh, you know, two and a half years, and uh, it's just been, uh, you know, really exciting, uh, you know, watching them come together. Well, and you're not afraid to take on some good teams as well. You've played some Big Ten teams this year, Jamie Franks, and when you go about putting your schedule together, what's important to you, Coach? Yeah, I think to just, you know, just to, to, to just play as top, uh, you know, as, uh, as many top 100 games as you can, and I think for us, um, you know, having played in the ACC myself, it was, uh, you, you got to be battle tested. Um, and for us, it's about winning games and knockout style type competition. So our ability to go on the road and test ourselves and, uh, you know, try to find adversity is, uh, you know, is really, really important in preparation to win games here later on in the season. Well, last year when you won the Summit League Head Coach of the Year, you were the youngest head coach in Division One as you earn your promotion from the assistant coaching role following the departure of Bobby Moose to Wake Forest, your alma mater. So, I mean, the the ties are amazing. I mean, how old are you now, Jamie? <laughs> 30. 30. A ripe, young, 30 years old. I mean, did you feel like you were ready for the challenge of a head coaching job? No, I don't think so. I don't, you know, I don't know if you're ever ready from, uh, you know, from all my conversations with different people and you know, you get a little bit lucky because, you know, there's a lot of good coaches, uh, assistant coaches that aren't head coaches and, you know, don't have the opportunity, um, you know, open itself uh, like it did at Denver. But, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, when I when I went out to Denver, um, you know, the program uh, was definitely, uh, you know, they had a 5-12 and 12 year, then they had the 10-8 and eight year, then they had a 5-12 and you know, five and 12 year. So, it, it, it was interesting to go there with Bobby and to be able to create something with him um, that was all culture based. And I think that, you know, five years later, you're 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 seeing um, that hard work pay off. And I think, you know, we we focused on getting, you know, the right character kids in. And I think, uh, you know, just my jump from an assistant to head coach has been awesome because the kids that I was there with, uh, you know, originally, you um, you know, some of the kids have been there for five years with me. So they've seen me as an assistant coach and a head coach, and we've kind of done this thing together. And, um, you know, there's guys like, you know, Jared um, Cochran and Kyle Morlack and A.J. Fuller that probably don't get uh, enough credit for what's going on here. But, you know, those are my older guys that, uh, you know, definitely make the job enjoyable for me because I got to know them as, as, as young prospective student-athletes, then to watch them go through all the bumps and, and all the maturity that they have their freshmen, their sophomore years. Um, it's just been such a such a fun experience to do it with this group of older guys. Um, you know, I feel uh, you know I feel very um, just grateful for the opportunity. Well, you had an incredible college career at Wake Forest where you scored seven goals and 20 assists. You helped lead Wake Forest to two ACC championships, three college cups, including the 2007 National Championship over the Ohio State Buckeyes. Talk about why you picked Wake Forest coming out of New Jersey. 
Yeah, I think it was the only small school that I was looking at. And I think uh, when I originally was um, looking at schools, it, it, I didn't, I, I wasn't really sure what I wanted. And I think as uh, I continued to go on, the, you know, different visits, Wake Forest was the only school that talked about, uh, you know, being a good person and, you know, how hard school was going to be and the honesty um, about the transition. Uh, you know, everybody else told me how great I was and, you know, how they could do this for me and do that. And, um, you know, uh, Wake Forest's you know, message just resonated with me. And um, I think that, uh, you know, Jay Vitovich just taught me a lot about, um, you know, playing a system, um, you know, playing to your strengths. Uh, you know, everybody plays a role. And, you know, the most important thing that I took away was just that, uh, you know, culture is the most important thing is that it, it's about the guys and you have to invest in, in them as people and, you know, make sure that they know that you care about them, you know, for, you know far more as people. Um, you know, then as players. And I think, uh, you know, that's what we've done out here at the University of Denver. Jamie Franks, what do you remember most about that 2007 national championship over Ohio State at Wake Met Soccer Park in Cary? Yeah, just that the ball went through my legs on their goal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I, I just, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was great. It was nice being ranked, uh, you know, as, 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 as high as we were from my sophomore all the way through my senior year. Um, you know, but the the profound moment is when you win, and when you win, and nobody else is there. There's no media. There's no there's no anybody. You're just uh, you're 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 there with the other, you know, 30 people um, that pushed you, that challenged you, that uh, were there for you when you know when you had down times, and you know, just that moment is something that you know nobody can ever take away. And I think you become pretty proud when you go back there and, uh, you know, or, or, or you look at Wake Forest and you see the star on top of their, uh, you know, their name. It's, uh, you know, it's just something that uh, nobody can ever take away from that, uh, you know, that group of uh, great guys. Well, you get drafted by Chivas USA, but you didn't play in the pros very long. What was your plan? Did you want to play 10 years and you changed your path? Uh, walk us through that, Jamie. Yeah, I'd still be playing now if I could. I just <laughs> think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, five seven, uh, 150 pound possession player. Um, you know, it was just the wrong time. And I think uh, for me, when I was playing in the NASL um, and the USL, it was it was it was one of those things that every everybody that I had played for had always told me that I was going to be a coach. And I had a great passion for 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 seeing uh, firsthand what happened at Wake Forest. You know. I, at the end of the day, even though we had a lot of pros, you know, I think 16 or 17 pros in four years when I was there, um, the guys who didn't necessarily stick around in the MLS or some guys that didn't even go pro are extremely successful from, uh, you know, from all the great habits that we learned in college. So um, I believed in that, you know, the developmental process, and I just wanted to get back into college soccer uh, immediately. I missed it. I missed the passion for it. I loved how much um, – the kids grow and develop and I just uh, you know I just wanted to be a part of it well and there you went right back in 2009 as the Wake Forest director of soccer operations worked a year took a little hiatus and then came back what were you doing during that time that was the year that I just played for the Rochester Rhinos so um, I definitely knew that I was going to be uh, a college coach so I just wanted to you know figure out every um, you know, whether it was a director of operations, whether it was a volunteer, whether it was a second assistant, first assistant, just understanding what, uh, you know, what, what that work really entailed and what, you know, what I was really getting into. So 
Uh, tried to play. Uh, would still, you know, anybody that knows me, I, I, I still jump in with my guys. I would, I would still be loving to play right now, but thought that for my career and, uh, you know, uh, was going to be best if I, uh, you know, just put the boots away. Okay, so continuing down the path, Bobby gets the opportunity to go to Denver. Talk about him saying, hey, come with me. Yeah, well, he was trying to convince me, you know, right when I was coming out of college, uh, um, you know, that I that I should be a coach. And I think, uh, you know, Bobby and I's relationship, I owe a lot to him. You know, uh, I, probably 15 or 16 years old was the first contact that we had with each other. And, you know, he recruited me to Wake Forest. And, um and then when I got out here to Denver, you know, he, uh, you know, him and I worked uh, worked well together. Um, it was one of those things where there was a lot of trust involved with each other, and um, it was just, you know, I've known him the guy now for you know 16, 17 years. So he left the program in a great, uh, you know, great situation, um, you know, for us moving forward. And uh, you know, it's just awesome to see all the success he's had at Wake Forest. You know, as an alumni, I just feel super proud. Um, you know, try to watch as many games as I can, but, uh, you know, overall just really, uh, you know, feel grateful for, uh, you know, Coach Commission and I's relationship. So he's obviously getting it done at Wake Forest, but when he leaves, I'm guessing he's trying to say, Hey, you come with me. Or maybe he said, no, I'm going to prop you up for this job. I mean, what happened? You're 28 years old. Talk about that interview process. What went down in Denver? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know all the details of it, but uh, you know, there, there there was a part of me that did think I was going to Wake Forest. You know, not even um, I just spent you know seven eight years um, there as a player and as a coach, and you know, a lot of uh, a lot of pride with that. So uh, you know, once Bobby got named the job, it was it was uh, you know it was something that definitely shifted. And I think uh, you know once. Denver's administration had approached me, um, you know, and then a lot of my players, I talked to a lot of my players and, um, you know, like I said, that, that, that's been the best um, gift of all is just watching these, these kids that I was assistant coach with, you know, that I recruited to, to, to do what we're doing right now and to be able to do it together um, the way that we are, you know, um, I think a lot of people outside of, of, the, of the Denver area are surprised. Um, I don't think anybody who is around my group uh, sees my group, uh, you know, to be number one academically, you know, with the highest team GPA to tie Notre Dame for that. And then to be ranked, you know, third or fifth in the country soccer wise. uh, You know, I think anybody that's around my group uh, is not surprised because they see the work that gets put in every day. Yeah. How do you describe the kind of soccer you're playing out there with the pioneers right now, coach? Yeah, I think Jurgen Klopp has, you know, termed a lot, you know, uh, he used a term that was called fighting football. And, uh, you know, that's who we are, you know, over, um, you know, we're one of only three teams undefeated still in the country. We're the only team last year to go undefeated in the country. We only gave up seven goals last year. We only have seven against this year, uh, you know, 10 shutouts. So, you know, since, you know, since I've taken over last, uh, including preseason and spring games, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's 31 shutouts in, uh, you know, in 43 games. So you're going to win a lot of games when you defend like that. And, you know, like I said earlier, we're really just getting um, ready for knockout style competition. So that type of fighting football is something that we take a lot of pride in. Finally, Jamie, we see Jay Vitovich at the NSCA convention. We see Bobby there as well. As a young coach, do you see value in going to the convention and getting involved with the NSCAA? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, last year I was there. Last year I, I, I was actually on a couple panels. I was on with one with Exact Sports that talked about positive co- uh, coaching and uh, and hazing. Um, you know, this year I, uh, I'm on a panel that uh, deals with how to be a good uh, college assistant coach. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I've uh, you know I've gotten a couple of my license from uh, from from the NSCAA, and uh, yeah, I love uh, you know I love the platform um, you know that they provide there at the convention. Jamie, I am uh, the ten-year voice of the Carolina Railhawks, amongst other things, and I call the Carolina Railhawks sometimes Wake Forest Light. Uh, Akira Fitzgerald, <laughs> Austin Deleuze, Zach Shalosky, and several others. Do you still follow the fact that, uh, I mean, Austin Deleuze is still getting it done. Akira right now is not starting, but you know he'll be back in there. I mean, Zach Shalosky left as the all-time leading goal scorer for the Carolina Railhawks. It is Wake Forest light, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think my experience with those guys, you know, they'll be, they'll be very good friends uh, for the rest of my life. And I think that, um, you know, those guys – our relationships and everything that I took away from Wake Forest um, was about, you know, bettering yourselves. And those guys helped me to do that. And I hope that I helped them do that as well. So, you know, we definitely, uh, you know, keep in touch all the time. And, you know, I'm following those guys and, uh, you know, just really, really happy for, uh, you know, for everybody. Well, since this show is all about the name drop, I promise you on Saturday night when the Railhawks play their last home game, we'll mention that we spent time with you on this week's podcast so we can continue that Wake Forest theme. Jamie Franks, real proud of you, my man. Just 30 years old, getting it done at Denver and uh, in the race for a national championship, we think. Could see you in Houston, Jamie. How's that sound? That's the goal. I think uh, when I took over, it was, uh, you know, nobody wanted to say it. And it was like, well, what do we want to do? And for us, it's about winning a national championship. So although we're 12-0-2 right now and uh, – uh, you know, we're only one of three undefeated teams. You know, we're just, we just take one game at a time. We've got a big game against New Mexico tonight. Um, you know, but for my group, uh, it's just about getting better. And, uh, you know, these guys are, you know, these guys are focused and ready to go here for the last little bit. Excellent interview. Jamie Franks, the head coach for the Denver Pioneers men's soccer team. They've not lost a regular season game since October 2014. Jamie, pleasure getting to know you a little better. Good luck the rest of the way. Thanks for having me. When you join the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, you join a community who live and breathe the beautiful game just like you do. You join a network of individuals who share many of the same issues, concerns, and questions as you. The NSCAA is dedicated to serving coaches at every level of the game in a number of ways through advocacy, education, and service. Be a part of the coaching community. Learn more and join at NSCAA.com.